God has blessed each of us with personalities and temperaments. They're all different. And your personality isn't the right one or the wrong one because it's who you are. And each has its area of strength and also potential weakness if we're not careful. And I talk about this as I'm doing premarital counseling with couples before performing their wedding ceremony. And they're always wondering, did we pass this test that I give to them? Well, there's no passing or failing. It reveals their personalities. It reveals how they might have some issues as they are together as a couple. And we call those growth areas and we work on those. And then we look at their strengths and we actually get them to build on their strengths. But there was a guy by the name of Jesus that lived a perfect life and had incredible balance. And we're starting a series of messages today where we're going through Luke chapter 16 to 19. And it's mostly going to be parables that Jesus told, but it's also other encounters that he had with people. And there are some personal characteristics that we'll be focusing on during these summer months that Jesus also possessed himself. Now, some of them, the people in the world, don't want anything to do with them. But the one that we're going to talk about today is one that the people in the world greatly desire. And that is intensity. We, everybody applauds intensity. Georgine Johnson was all signed up to run in a 10-kilometer race. And she arrived later than she wanted to. It was about 15 minutes prior to the start of the race. And there were thousands of people. And she thought, wow, I didn't know the 10K race was so popular. So she stretched a little bit. The race began. And they got to a point where it, the sign said seven kilometers. And then she thought, okay, we're going to turn around and come back towards the start. But they headed out of the city. And so she asked the guy, what's going on? Where are we going? And he looked at her like she was crazy. So she followed along for a while, and then she saw a police officer, and she said, Officer, would you please take me back to the start of this race? I'm obviously in the wrong race. And he said, I, I wish I could, but I'm not allowed to leave my post until the race is over. So not really sure what to do, she got back into the middle of the crowd and started to run. And because of the fatigue, she started crying. There was pain and agony that she was going through. And then she noticed this guy running in front of her, and his T-shirt said, just do it. So she decided, okay, I'm going to do it. And she persevered, and this 42-year-old secretary, who had never run more than 15 kilometers in her life, actually completed a 42-kilometer marathon, and she was in 83rd place out of all the women. So we love stories like that. We love that intensity. And you don't understand how tough that is to run a race like that. My oldest daughter, Brittany, is in tremendous shape. She was running half marathons, and she said, Dad, this is the year I'm doing the full marathon. And she was training for it, and her final run was to be a 36-kilometer run. And we were on PEI visiting with my mother in Charlottetown. And so... In order to do 36 kilometers in a small city, you have to run all over the place. And people were texting me, hey, I saw Brittany running downtown. Or I saw Brittany out on St. Peter's Road. I saw Brittany out in Brackley. And she was covering all those areas. But then she got two kilometers from my mom's place and 
she couldn't go anymore. She just collapsed in the ditch. And she texted me, Dad, can you come and get me? And she went back to the half marathon. So that's how tough it is to do something like Georgine Johnson did. And she overcame an overwhelming object, an incredible challenge, an intimidating opportunity where she decided, I'm either going to quit or just do it. And we are going to experience those in our lives as well. There will be an overwhelming object. There will be an incredible challenge or maybe an intimidating opportunity. And we have to decide, are we going to do it or not? See, we seldom see intensity like Georgine's in athletics, and we rarely see it in spiritual settings. So what is your passion for? What brings out your intensity? Is it family? Is it sports? Is it job performance? Jesus told a story about intensity, and he gazes into the future and into the lives of his listeners as he actually tries to determine what comes first in your life. So let's look at this characteristic of intensity. And first of all, we're going to see intense creativity that he talks about here, beginning in verse 1. Jesus also said to his followers, Once there was a rich man who had a manager to take care of his business. The manager was accused of cheating him, so he called the manager in and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give me a report of what you have done with my money because you can't be my manager any longer. And the manager thought to himself, what will I do since my master is taking my job away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig ditches. I am ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job, people will welcome me into their homes. So the manager called in everyone who owed the master any money he asked the first one, how much do you owe? And he answered, 800 gallons of olive oil. And the manager said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 400 gallons. And then the manager asked another one, how much do you owe? And he answered, 1,000 bushels of wheat. And then the manager said to him, take your bill and write 800 bushels on it. So this is sometimes referred to as the parable of the shrewd manager. But Jesus actually doesn't refer to it as a parable. So it could actually be a true story. And it's a little more complicated than the stories he told. So I'm going to try and retell this in my own words. The manager of an estate is accused of embezzling money from his company. And the owner suspected that there was something wrong, so he calls for an audit. And the manager knew that he was in big trouble, so now he's trying to think of some way that he can wiggle out of this. And he couldn't fake innocence because he knew there was too much evidence. He couldn't find a similar job because no one would hire him because of his dishonesty. And he couldn't go and do manual labor because his hands were too soft. And he couldn't go out in the streets to beg because he had too much pride for that. So he started thinking about ways in which he might be able to save his skin. So he became creative and he acted quickly so that his boss wouldn't fire him. So he called in a man who owed 800 gallons of oil to the company. Now if that was 800 gallons of furnace oil, that would be $10 a gallon today, value of $8,000. And he said to him, look, you bring in half that amount today, and I'll say it paid in full. 
And then he said to another guy who owed a thousand bushels of grain, we've got another special today and I'll wipe 20% off that debt of yours if you'll bring in 800 bushels today. And both debtors, they gladly took advantage of this bargain, even though they kind of suspected that there might be some foul play going on. Now this manager was shrewd, but he was also dishonest. So he falsified the records to actually gain the gratitude of the debtors. This way, if he got fired, maybe one of them would hire him. And if they didn't hire him, he would bring up the transaction that took place and he would squeal on them that they didn't pay in full. So he felt, there's no way that I can lose in this. And when the owner hears of this devious plot, instead of seething with anger like he should, he shrugs his shoulders and he actually commends this shrewd dealing because that guy actually got more money from those people th than I would have. So he, he, he was happy, he was thankful. Now this is a unique parable in that the owner doesn't represent God. God's just another character in the story. But notice in this story how everybody's looking out for number one. They're always looking to greed as motivating every move that they made. Money was the ruling force. And some people read this and they say, well, Jesus is saying that it's okay to be dishonest at work. But that's not what he's saying here. You have to look at the entire story. And the more we dig into it, we, the more we actually notice Jesus' observation. Because the world works so hard for a dollar, and people will do the strangest things in order to make money. So the application for us is in verse 8. So the master praised the dishonest manager for being clever. Yes, worldly people are more clever with their own kind than spiritual people are. So Jesus wasn't approving of the behavior of the manager. He was pointing out the sad truth that the people in the world are actually more creative in using their money to their advantage than Christians are in using creativity in advancing the gospel. So the world has some things right. I read about a Toyota plant that had 65% of its people with perfect attendance at work. And I think that's unheard of because I'm constantly talking to people. Don't, don't you work today? Oh, I'm taking my sick day this month. People usually take advantage of those. But this is why they had such good attendance. Everybody that had perfect attendance at work throughout the year, their names were all put into a box at Christmas time. And then 15 names were drawn out of the box, and those 15 people were given a brand new Toyota. So there was the, all the inspiration that they needed. And then you, you run into people like Robert Goizetta, who was the chair and CEO of Coca-Cola for 17 years. And he gave this speech just a, a few months before his death. He said, a billion years, excuse me, a billion hours ago, human life appeared on the earth. And I'm not sure if he's got that number right. But a billion minutes ago, Christianity emerged. A billion seconds ago, the Beatles appeared on the Ed Sullivan Show. And a billion Coca-Colas ago was yesterday morning. And he said, the question is, we should be asking ourselves now, is what does it take to get to a billion Coca-Colas ago this morning? So he was an intense leader. 
And that's the intense creativity we must possess when it comes to making a difference in our society. Back at the start of this year, our elders and pastors presented our new mission statement and values. And our mission statement is to know Jesus and to make him known. And then we filled that out by saying Jesus gave his church the mission to make disciples who make disciples by baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus had commanded them. And everything we do is to help people follow Jesus, to be transformed by Jesus, and to be committed to the mission of Jesus. And our values are out in the cafe. They're up above the coffee counter. You can see them on the wall. So when it comes to commitment, we are asking you to go boldly where you've never gone before. And in verse 9, and this is from the voice translation. It may seem a little strange to you. Learn some lessons from this crooked but clever asset manager. Realize that the purpose of money is to strengthen friendships, to provide opportunities for being generous and kind. Eventually, money will be useless to you. But if you use it generously to serve others, you will be welcomed joyfully into your eternal destination. So Jesus re actually reversed the story from the way that it, it should be. Use the money that you have to gain friends for an eternal reward. So we ask the question, why are you here on this earth? You are here to actually point other people to Jesus Christ and to glorify God through your life and to influence others. Now we need to be creative in the way that we share our resources. And that's the main theme of this story. Now in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, Paul wrote, So be very careful how you live. Do not live like those who are not wise, but live wisely. Use every chance you have for doing good, because these are evil times. So Christians, we need to be more creative, and we do that because there is a sense of urgency. We don't know when Jesus is going to return. It could be at any moment. So what type of faith risk could you take to communicate to the Lord that you want to use your resources to multiply the ministry of Christ? Back in 2010, our elders and leadership team, we looked at our building, which was much different back then, and we said, this is really holding us back in growth. And we actually met with some people that redesigned the building. We totally gutted the interior, and they told us you could now get to four or 500 people in this building. Well, God has blessed since then, and we now have four to 500 people in our congregation. COVID has helped us out a little bit because everybody's not trying to get in here in two services, but we'll be in trouble when that does happen. So we're going to have to do something else with this building, and you're going to be hearing about that so that we will take another bold risk of faith as we step into the future. But I think God likes it when we take those bold steps of faith. And the key thing is to Remember what matters most when our lives end. It's not the things that we had, but it's actually what we gave away. And maybe you've seen this tombstone. It's been popular in Christian circles. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And Jesus said, 
Your treasure will be stored in the heavens. And since your treasure is there, in this translation I looked at, it says your heart will be there as well. It will be lodged there as well. So if we are faithful stewards, God will reward us greatly, and that reward will bring glory to his name. But the problem is we like to keep store, a score of all of this. And we enjoy the technology that's available to us. You can set up your financial portfolio on your computer. And after you've added in the stocks that you have, your savings account and the equity in your home, you can at any moment of the day just push a few keys and find out exactly how much you're worth at that moment. The benefit is you can find out where you stand financially at that moment. The downside is you can find out where you stand financially. And then if the market has a good day, people have a good day. But if it takes a plunge, you start to feel a bit shaky. But your worth isn't based on what you have, but rather on who you are and whose you are. And the book of 1 Corinthians says that we have been bought with a price And you know what that price was? That price was the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross. And when you begin to grasp that truth, that dramatically alters how you see your resources. If you have a nice home, then you think of ways in which you can use that home to actually influence guests for Christ. If you have money, you'll want to use it to see the spreading of the gospel accelerated. You'll want to use it to encourage others. You will not want to use it to meet the needs of the less fortunate. The writer of Proverbs said, the wise person is rewarded by wisdom, but whoever makes fun of wisdom will suffer for it. So start early in the lives of your children. Help them to understand this concept of giving. Back when our kids were small, there was another family in the church. They had a daughter, and they were giving her $3 a week for allowance. One dollar was to be given back to God. Another dollar was to go in savings and then go have fun with the other dollar. So we actually implemented that same thing with our daughters. We said, we don't need to reinvent the wheel here. And But then later on, a cousin of mine, his wife, who was studying to be a lawyer, was living with us. And she got into collusion with my daughters, and a court case came, and the allowance was raised somewhat. And I trust that the giving was raised as well in all of that. But have a proper understanding of what money can do for you. Because if the former CEO of Coca-Cola was working that hard to sell sugar, caffeine, and water, then just think of how much harder we should be planning and, and actually working to share the message that has eternal consequences. So intense creativity is required. And then we need intense honesty. Christ follows up the story with an observation on character in verse 10. If you're faithful in small-scale matters, you'll be faithful with far bigger responsibilities. If you're crooked in small responsibility, you'll be no different in bigger things. If you can't even handle a small thing like money, who's going to trust you with spiritual riches that really matter? If you don't manage well someone else's assets that are entrusted to you, Who's going to give over to you important spiritual and personal relationships to manage? 
Before 48% of people admit to taking things from work, either unethically or illegally, within the past year. So honesty is still something that we strive for, and it just doesn't seem to be around as much as it used to be. There was a recent Gallup poll that was done to determine what the majority of people decided would be the most reliable occupation. And number one was nurses. And we have many nurses in our church, and I understand how amazing they are. Pharmacists was number two. We have a couple of them in our church. Medical doctors were next, and we have another handful of doctors. Then engineers have a few in the church. Then dentists, police officers, college professors, got a few of them as well. And then James and I came in at number eight. That's how far down the list clergy are. And that's incredible. That used to be number two at one point. So we're kind of headed in the wrong direction. But what about your occupation? How is it looked upon? We all need to raise the bar within our own profession in order to be people of integrity. Proverbs 11.3 said, Good people will be guided by honesty. Dishonesty will destroy those who are not trustworthy. So integrity is your best friend. And if you keep your priorities straight, if you're honest on those small things, then you will be honest in the big things as well. So make sure you're honest up front, and then you won't have to be covering your tracks at any point in your life. James said, my brothers and sisters, above all, do not use an oath when you make a promise. Don't use the name of heaven, earth, or anything else to prove what you say. When you mean yes, say only yes. And when you mean no, say only no. So you will not be judged guilty. Have you ever heard someone say, I swear it's the truth? Well, James and Jesus both maintain that when a Christian opens his or her mouth, there's no need to say that because the only thing that comes out of our mouths is the truth. And then briefly, there's one other thing we're going to look at, and that is that we also have to have some intense loyalty. And there's a hard statement here, beginning in verse 13. No servant can serve two masters, The servant will hate one master and love the other, or will follow one master and refuse to follow the other. You cannot serve both God and worldly riches. The Pharisees who loved money were listening to all these things and made fun of Jesus. And he said to them, you make yourselves look good in front of people, but God knows what is really in your hearts. What is important to people is hateful in God's sight. So Jesus is saying we can't serve two masters, that there's no room here for casual Christianity. There is a place for loyalty and allegiance where we say, I'm on your team, Lord. I've got your back, Jesus. But sometimes we're a lot more like the Pharisees than we care to admit. We put more importance on our sports, our hobbies, our travel, the toys that we own, the money that we save, that we invest, that we spend. And God isn't impressed with those things that we play, actually place such a high premium on. 
Do you think that your paycheck impresses the God of the universe? Do you think that he's concerned about the way that you look? He wants us to dress decently, teens, but he's not concerned if we don't have a suit on. And do you think he's concerned about whether we can hit a golf ball straight or not? And that's a tough one to say because I try to hit it straight. But I watch TV and watch professional golf tournaments and they have the tracker on the ball and these guys don't hit the ball straight either. It curves to the left or it curves to the right. Now I know most of you aren't hockey fans and I apologize for that. And the, uh, the band, as we were about to pray before the first service, I told them this was the cue for them to come to the front and they said, why is it always hockey stories? Why not? an NBA story. So I said, give me an NBA story that fits in with the point I want to make and I'll use it the second service. And they failed. So you may not know hockey, but you'll recognize the name Wayne Gretzky, possibly. He, he was the highest scoring hockey player that ever lived. And he began his career in 1979 with the Edmonton Oilers. And he led them to the championships, four out of the five years that he played with them leading up to this event in 1979, excuse me, yeah, 1988. It was the unthinkable. The team actually traded the best player in hockey to the Los Angeles Kings. He was traded along with two other players for three players, three top draft picks, and $15 million. So it was obvious that the owner of the Edmonton Oilers was in financial trouble, and that's why he made the deal. But the city of Edmonton was devastated. Gretzky was devastated because he was loved and he was popular. Now, the first time that Los Angeles came to play in Edmonton, you can imagine that Wayne Gretzky was, he was the center of attention. And when the starting lineups were read over the PA system and his name was mentioned, the Edmonton stand, uh, fans stood and they gave him this long uh, ovation. And then finally they quieted down and the game started. And then we were wondering, how are his teammates going to react to him? Because they were all friends with him, but now he's on another team. Well, very early on in that game, he and his best friend, Marc Messier, were opposite positions to one another. And Messier just creamed Gretzky against the boards. And at first I thought, what's he doing? That's his best friend, and he just, it was legal, but he, he was really rough with him. And here's what Messier was doing. He was saying, that a page had turned in Wayne Gretzky's career. And when he was ed interviewed, he said, he's no longer an Edmonton Oiler. Even though he's a friend of mine, I wanted the Edmonton fans to know that he is now a Los Angeles King. He wanted everybody to know where he stood. When a person actually becomes a Christian, in one way or another, he or she needs to embrace Jesus in the sight of family, it might be friends, it might be co-workers, it could be neighbors. The world needs to know where you stand. And they might ridicule you, they might sneer at you, but let there be no question as to where your loyalty is. So how's your intensity? Are you serious about your faith or are you merely just kind of doing your duty, coming to church once a week, and then you walk through those double doors and then just 
say goodbye to everybody, and then forget about it until the next Sunday. God doesn't want people who are casual Christians, who are so worried about offending people with Christianity that they never let them know they are Christians. So God wants people who are totally loyal, totally sold out, because there comes a time in everybody's life when we will face those overwhelming obstacles. And we have to then make a choice regarding which master we are going to serve. Do you want to serve the world or do you want to serve Jesus? Just follow Jesus. And you have a chance to make that commitment to join Christ today, to join in running that race. And it's not a 100-meter race. It's not a 10,000-meter race. It's not a 10-kilometer race. It is a marathon. And you need to know that before you get into the starter's block. And Christ promises that he's going to be there beside you every step of the way. So step out in faith and accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. You can come to the front. You can share that decision with me as we sing. Or you mention it to me on the way out. Talk to James, our associate pastor, or any of our other leaders. But don't go without making that decision.